What poets should do. Poets should get back to saying crazy shit all of the time. I am sick of academics or business people telling poets what we should do. A poet is a scientist to favor poetry or science and that both relate to Buddhism. However, both are things that melt. A purple haze or dawn, what's sunken in, always a shifting mood. But it's true, I love you guys and gals of the wood and word. Let's say whatever it is we please. We don't have to defend anything. It is our God-given right to declaim. No, let me start again. It is our universal law to speak, not an actuary to measure how thin. The arguments of our verse. To say we make a treatise in language, no. No, we go on living and living and living on. That's beautiful and poems are too. Poems and shells, these little nothings, I pick them up all the live long day. They are the signposts of comfort possible to smooth the jagged edges of this worried traveler. That's what poems should do, and that's what poets actually do. Damn light always going on in my face. I just want a poem to speak of. So I go on and on into the night, and the townspeople, they say to you that they may have seen a monster, but no, no, I was only the dawn. From Radio Kismet, this is the American Poetry Review. I'm Elizabeth Scanlon. I'm Stephen Kleinman. I'm Talia Geiger. And this is the American Poetry Review podcast. Today on the show, we are joined by the one and only Dorothea Lasky, who you just heard reading her poem, What Poets Should Do, and who has not just one, but two books coming out this fall. Um, We'll also talk about what we read when we're not reading poetry and and how. What are audiobooks doing to the way that we read? And some other questions. Let's get into it. Dorothea Lasky is the author of five books of poetry, the most recent of which are Milk and Rome and the essay collection Animal, which is just out from Wave Books. She teaches at Columbia and is also known as one half of the Twitter sensation Astro Poets with Alex Dimitrov. Dottie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting it's to a, be here. It's exciting this. for me too. Yeah. Um, thank you for also for humoring me by reading the the poem that you just read for us, which is from a, a couple of books ago. Ooh. It's from Thunderbird. Uh, but that poem, What Poets Should Do, is one of my favorites of yours. Um, I love a manifesto. I love anything that even sort of has the attitude of a manifesto. Um, can we begin there? Can we just, I mean, I know that's like going, yeah. 
back a ways. Yeah, no, it's good. No, thank you for reminding me of that poem because I, you know, um, I don't know how you feel, you know, um, when you're giving poetry readings, but um, I always feel the pressure to have poems that are going to make people laugh Mm because then that's like the most immediate reaction. You know, if somebody's just sitting there, they could be thinking this sucks or they could be thinking this is great. But if they laugh, you kind of know that they thought it was funny or at least they're being polite you know they like you enough right. to fake laugh but well that yeah. they have a pulse that, yeah like you know that there's like an exchange happening right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so that that was a poem I think I used to read a lot to get a laugh but it's not really funny I mean it's not funny at all actually but I take it to heart I really I really believe that poets should say more crazy shit me too yeah Yeah. and I think even more than you know we could possibly say here today right (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really important to open the door to crazy shit Mm -hmm. I think yeah what what actually comes across as funny in poems is rarely ever actually funny (laughs) yeah it's not haha funny and things that are funny are rarely actually funny in poems it's the wrong setting for it (laughs) (laughs) I think that's true I've just found that you know a lot of times in poetry readings it's like a kind of um middle school reaction if you Mm. say a curse word if you say anything sexual you know then they're like whoa like she just said fuck you know yeah whoa like what just (laughs) happened here like you know crazy shit you know those things and anyway but um yeah isn't it funny that we don't actually have that many uh instances in our the rest of our lives where a whole group of people go ooh, (laughs) like that's a regular occurrence like in grade school Mm -hmm. right (laughs) that's about this say I'm, I'm teaching a high school class now and I can get an ooh. <laughs> ooh what did he just say? Right? Uh, where are you teaching high school? Oh, maybe you don't want to put it on the recording. I don't know. if. The, I know. I don't mind at oh. all. I'm teaching a, a nonfiction class at Friends Select School. Oh, cool. Which is in this neighborhood. Oh, awesome. Steven is teaching all over the great city of Philadelphia. Oh. He is really, um, he's really putting in the work. Um, but also, following on the idea of of touching upon the funny of the humor and getting the reaction um, in this essay of yours that is in the November December issue of the American Poetry Review, um, the essay called "The Beast" from your new book. Um, there's so many things going on in there that I want to talk about. Um, Stephen, did you uh, you had mentioned something earlier about? Um, I had a question about. I I, I was really thinking about. Um, the generative value of being wild in poems and thinking about other uh, poets who have written essays, um, uh, The Triggering Town and um, a Zimborska essay that I'm not remembering the name of, unfortunately, but um, (laughs) where there's the idea of not knowing or allowing yourself to find a new spot. And this essay feels in line with some of those ideas. And I'm wondering for you generatively, how does the idea of wildness or being the animal function in your practice, if at all? Yeah, I think um, for me, I feel, you know, it's really important to remember that nothing you create is really precious. You know, um, that was my mom um, was is like an art historian and painter. And she taught me early on, you know, like, don't get too attached to like mm. one particular thing, because you can, you know, um, you, you can always make another thing. That's something that people can't take from you is your own voice, your own generative, you know, quality 
quality and so never get like hung up on on something in particular like this line like uh-oh you know <laughs> i better preserve this line forever because it'll never happen again and i think that relates to something about like the animal or the mm-hmm. idea the this idea you know that um that that there's like something about life that you know persists and and goes on and that that can be uh something hopefully inspiring for people because we all have our own sense of what that could be it's not like a particular thing because we're our our own animals so so it's okay for you like for uh for ginsburg and the meditation Mm -hmm. to 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 lose it because there's going to be more yeah yeah that the that it'll happen again at the same time you know i was just telling elizabeth before we started like i'm particularly scared about um things you know going away into the ether Mm. and like i i really have a strong love for you know archivists and librarians and that Mm. sort of thing and the idea of like preserving the everyday preserving every second like i'm really obsessive about that like oh my god like that receipt that'll never happen again i better (laughs) keep it i guess this is all to say I'm a hoarder, you know, but <laughs> that's it. But um, but so I, I feel like that's really important too. At the same time, yeah, you have to trust that, you know, whatever you're conjuring in your work that it, you know, hopefully will come back again, even if that one particular line might not, you know, it'll, the force will come back. I actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that I, when I was going over some of your other books, I was noticing how there are certain like dates that reappear over and over mm-hmm. again, like mm-hmm. October 21st, like comes through again and again, or no, February 21st mm-hmm. came through it a does. few times. Thank you and for I, noticing no, that. No, I absolutely did. No one's ever noticed and that. I, and I had this, I don't know, it made me feel close to those poems because it was almost like... Yes, you have this this uh, echo coming through mm-hmm. that that it's like it's not just you remembering it like you're witnessing somebody else remembering it if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I don't know if you all have this, but I f- want to say that we all have these like particular numbers that follow mm-hmm. us, and mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes people call them like I guess they call them like angel numbers, mm-hmm. or they're supposed to signify, you know, that something's like either looking out for you, or they're supposed to give you a signal. But of course, if you look too closely at them and they become precious, you can sort of lose it, you know, you, mm-hmm. in a way. I don't not in like a bad way, but if you're always looking for eight hundred one, you might miss the train because you were waiting for the 801 train that doesn't exist or whatever but it's like those numbers you know that revisit us become friends right. you know when and that and that happens to me to me a lot with that particular number sequence right. i see it when i'm on a path it may be good it may be bad but i know i'm on the path i'm was supposed to be on yeah so it it just like kind of happens like that. And does that happen to you all ever? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Absolutely, it's happened to me before. Yeah. Like twenty one and twenty three are some of my numbers that follow me around. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah, and you and like when you try to talk about that, you know, and like play conversation, a lot of people do roll their eyes or they're like, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> like what is that supposed to signify that you're not have a sense of like reality or something. But it is still reality. I mean, but the, it's, a, it's, it's like a, a personal mythology, right? Mm-hmm. And that there's like real value in that because even if it's not, I mean, sometimes it can be shared, but even if it's not shared, it is a part of like the richness of like your own like internal landscape, right? Yes. That a color or a number or a um, a smell like has a has an association, right? Yes, totally. Um, 
We have to talk about the Muppet Animal okay. in this Uh-oh. essay. <laughs> um, is his picture in the... I haven't seen it yet. He's not in here. No, he's, but not, he's, he's not in the okay. magazine, but he is in the back <laughs> yeah, of the book. Yeah, he's in the book. A little surprised. Did that surprise you when you saw it? I did, and I, lo- I laughed so hard. <laughs> I, I just love it so much. Um, could you read for us a little bit of your... Um, the passage about animal? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he figures highly in this book and, and especially the essay that's in um, the, the the review. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to read a little bit um, from a section called Animal the Muppet. As I mentioned above, and of course everyone knows above, you know, if you're reading. Yes. Okay, well, above, it's at the top of a page, <laughs> so I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. But Animal the Muppet. As I mentioned above, for a long time, this lecture was titled simply The Animal. To me, the idea of the wild has always been summed up best by Animal from the Muppets. No, this is not a joke. I am not trying to be funny. For many years, my worst fear was an image of animals suspended in blankness looking back at me. This fear first started when I was very little and had a viewmaster with a Muppets reel. The slide started off pleasant enough with the Muppets in many great locales, a slide or two of Miss Piggy and Kermit in love, then Ralph playing the piano. <laughs> Toward the, I never know if I'm saying that right. Toward the end, <laughs> at the penultimate slide, there was Sweetums all alone against a red background. If you know the Muppets, you know that Sweetums is a nice Muppet, just kind of freaky looking, but he sort of set the stage for what was the last reel, last slide of the reel. Animal in a black background, suspended in the universe, a wild thing among the sublime. Even as an adult, I continued to have this fear. In my mid-twenties, I lived in fear that friends who knew I felt this way would somehow find it silly enough to scare me. I used to make one of my best friends promise me he wouldn't sneakily put this picture on my desktop when he borrowed my computer, as he was extremely fond of pranks. He never did, thankfully, but I often watched who I told. Have you ever noticed how people can be very mean when you tell them your fears? They sometimes lie in wait to snap them back at you. At age 27, I started a master's program at Harvard, and they had the requisite beginning of the program celebration at the Big Science Museum in Boston. I went with my then-boyfriend to the party, and we looked around at all this amazing stuff in the museum, and then we saw some viewmasters, and without thinking, I picked one up, and lo and behold, the first image was of all the Muppets in a 70s golden background. (laughs) I shrieked, and my boyfriend came running to my side. He looked and flipped to the next image and there it was he laughed there was animal one slide away from my view even in my moment of glory there was animal waiting in his vortex sitting there ready to look at me <laughs> 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 it's just true i did not see that and yeah and, <laughs> i was telling elizabeth that um yeah when wave books you know was helping me um put together the book um i was too scared to send them an image of animal um so it's so th- potent it's like so real <laughs> yeah okay. And so they found on eBay, you know, I think what must have been the vintage reel. But I was too scared. And they sent me the images. and I was too scared to look. So oh I just had, yeah, my friend Eric Baus look at it. And he said, you know, it, sound, it looks like what you've described. <laughs> um, so I never really saw it until the book was um, published because I was too. I was even scared when I got the box of books in the mail. I was like, I'm not. I didn't open them. You're like, for I know days. he's in there. I know. <laughs> I can feel him through the box. I just and then I was. So, yeah. Anyway, that's so great. <laughs> 
So there's an amazing correlation in this essay between your conquered fear of animal looking <laughs> at it? you. I'm not so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is scary. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> the openness and vulnerability that was the scary part of that experience, that's also true in poetry. <clears throat> you have um, people reading your poetry and that's your audience and they are kind of seeing you for whatever you've written. So what does it mean to be seen for you? And is this intimacy and vulnerability as frightening in poetry as it was in this animal experience? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that question. Yeah, I mean, I I feel that um, at first, you know, for me writing poems, it was so scary. I was so mm-hmm. kind of hell bent on being in control. Um, and, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I've really just got to control the math, you know, everything about these poems. But um, after my first book, I was like, well, I kind of had this idea that some people were reading it, but maybe it wasn't very many people. So I was like, I'm I'm just gonna let it fly I mean <laughs> you know I, I, did, I was okay with being vulnerable it didn't even feel like vulnerability it felt like I was actually communicating with something mm-hmm. and yeah. mm-hmm. at this point I've been feeling lately I'm just very terrified <laughs> <laughs> in general like yeah, yeah like I just feel I feel terrified to be vulnerable mm-hmm. you know now and and so um, it's like made me I mean it's been really nice writing prose because yeah. I feel like you can be scared in prose but there's still so much you know language language to mm-hmm. work out how you're feeling or what you're thinking and that's not always prevalent in poetry so much of poetry for me has always been a performance so you know stating something in a poem is not necessarily what I feel all the time you know I mean and so um and so like it just feel that feels really scary now to you know for whatever reason maybe it's my age or it's yeah. a scary time yeah it's a scary <laughs> it's a time yeah it's a very it's like a, a very yeah it's a very scary time um to say things and not you know and you know um whatever it just it, it feels like it affects um, the world more in a way that it I think in some past books it just felt like I was just doing it and you know hopefully people right. liked it but it didn't really affect anything right even though maybe it did obviously maybe mm-hmm. that's a weird way to look at it no I, I, I think I know what you mean I think that like sort of the the vibe of the nation right now is is so is such a, a hair trigger mm-hmm. you know that it that it feels like I mean for myself I, I feel compelled in some ways to be like bigger and weirder than ever before Mm, because I feel like representation matters (laughs) you know and to be like sort of as Mm -hmm. you know I don't know unusual in whatever ways one is unusual Mm -hmm. right as femme or as as uh, (laughs) poety as one is um um but also yeah there there is there feels like there's there's a much more pushback in the culture like against like uh the idea of you know what worth something has or what use it is mm-hmm. um yes though for me actually that that kind of gets to the heart of it is that it's like because it exists outside of like a capitalist system of worth mm-hmm. that is its own reason for being but that's my shtick we can get it <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that's no that's an important shtick <laughs> that's important oh my God. <laughs> i wanted to also ask you daddy uh, again well harking back a couple books um thinking about you know i i love your poetry so much um one of your poems uh, called Why Poetry Can Be Hard for Some People. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm totally springing this on you with yeah. no warning. Yes, uh, I'm was, ready to be 
Yes. To, sprung to, to be sprung upon. I have opened my as, as an animal. Here I, as a, here I here come. I am. Yeah, I may bite. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> I won't. Okay. No, no, no. It's nothing, all good. There's nothing bad happening. These in are this the chances Don't worry. we take. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but the the opening line of that poem, um, why poetry can be hard for some people, because speaking to the dead is not something you want to do when you have other things to do in your day. Mm. I think that line so often, really. Um, I think because it, I mean, it says so much to me in the idea of like reckoning with our own dead, but also the idea of how our poems, our art, our, our doings last much longer than, than we do uh, as, as human beings. But I just wanted to invite you to say more about the idea of how, how poetry speaks to the dead. Yeah. Well, if that's not just such a bizarre <laughs> question to, to pose. I think that it does. Um, I, I, <laughs> I agree with that line. <laughs> that I was making a point I can stand behind. Okay. Yeah, but um, I think, you know, yeah, thinking about that poem and why writing the poem, it, you know, it was a bit written out of frustration um, because I think, you know, a lot of times people want to read things literally, you mm. know, and that, and of course people use that word all the time. Oh, that drives me crazy. <laughs> Sorry, grandma's over here. You know, when they're like, I literally went to the store it's like yeah we got it you went to the store but anyway uh but it's still fun to do that i mean i love to do that too it makes it extra exciting anyway um but yeah like i just you know this idea that um that poetry doesn't have to exist in like a one-to-one correspondence um you know to me relates to the dead and relates to time and to our future and past selves which i think you know we don't always acknowledge a lot in our you know prevalent culture but Mm -hmm. poetry still gives us the opportunity um, to do that, you know. uh, And I guess I am a firm believer in this idea of conjuring. Um, You know, I say the dead, but I think there's just so much that is like in the invisible atmosphere that we just don't have the sensory um, ability to really capture that I do think it's our job as poets to to intuit and produce into language. Like, as much as we're maligned and told us you know, told that, you know, being a poet is not really that important because it doesn't always engage in a, you know, economical system sometimes. I mean, that's a whole other topic. But, um, (laughs) yeah, that, um, you know, that that we do have a very important job, you know, to humanity. And that's to... um, To make room for that conversation. Because I think, you know, everyone has some, everyone has some interaction with their own dead yes or or with or with their own mortality right and and that that is um you know we have to we have to make spaces for those for those things to to um to be talked about but also to do the talking sometimes i guess you know to be that channel I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, one time I had like a kind of psychic reading by this person, Asher Hartman, who's so amazing, and everybody can look him up and you know talk to him. It's a wonderful online. name. I know. I love the name Asher <laughs> so much. Anyways, oh, um, oh, sorry. Okay, but uh, but um, you know, one of the things I guess he does is like look at your ancestors and see who's standing behind you. You know, like not only ghosts, but just like you know people that have kind of come to make what we are right now as these present Uh beings and all of us have all these people you know they were good they were bad Mm. you know just like hanging out that that you're rolling around with yeah and maybe they're not maybe they're not like i'm gonna watch over you know her right now but (laughs) but they all like lived and now we're that 
thing and like that's a there's like a big responsibility there you know to give them voice i feel like you know that they want to so be interesting heard. to me i'm gonna look him up because i really like the idea of like having a like an unseen posse yeah yeah no and like <laughs> i think yeah he True. can like feel those people but i feel like every poem is like a conflation of those voices yes. you know you're and they may not be related to you right. they may not be your actual like ancestors but they're they are things that want to speak i'm so sorry if i'm talking to no, okay. no, don't be silly. I'm just, I'm just blah blah. No, I'm, I'm just like blabbing forever. You I'm gotta... just like receiving information from the from the spirits in the room. Don't mind me. I, I do, I do. I would be totally remiss if I didn't ask you at least one question about the astro poets. Okay, because it's so. No, I really enjoy it so much, and it's so interesting Thank to me you. that I remember. I remember following you guys on Twitter like the first time that you posted mm. and just thinking like oh look at this fun little thing and then like the next day you had like 50,000 followers yeah. and of course now it's like a half a million followers yeah. or something and that now you you and Alex have a book that just came out how did it all begin how how did that start we really have zero idea because <laughs> yeah we we started you know when we first met we started a Twitter called Fire Signs for Life because we are fire signs <laughs> I don't know what signs you guys are. And it had like not very many followers and it was really dumb. We were just trying to make each other laugh. And so, um, you know, when we started it. He... I just realized I don't know what signs you are. So oh, what yeah. Are you, what's, what I know you're Libra. Yeah. What... Aquarius. Okay. Nice, nice. I'm a Libra too. Okay, cool. No, no, no. Oh, a I'm lot a, of fire and air in here. I'm a Libra with an Aquarius rising. Aww. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. We've got a Sag on the That's mic right. or it's whatever so good. that is. Yeah. <laughs> 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 there, um, yeah. So, uh, so we were just, you know, I was just I was actually on bed rest from being pregnant and he posted should I go out with a Taurus or a Virgo tonight mm -hmm. so I voted for a Taurus obviously <laughs> and then he put a poll it was like when polls were cool right. and then he put a poll um, should we start an astrology Twitter tonight and like 100 people voted yes so he's like let's do it and we were just kind of being funny and right. you know just making jokes and we had like no intention at all and it has just been pretty like we just are like what the I think that's amazing. That? I love yeah. that because it has brought so much enjoyment to so many people and I think really is an uh a great example of like shoot your shot yeah like just do your funny little thing that just you're do it yeah because yeah. now it's huge just do it yeah because i mean astrology was something that i'd always been obsessed with and people in my life were always annoyed about it like there were certain friends that were into it but most people are like there she goes again because like, i'd always ask i probably asked your sign when i first Absolutely. met you yeah like years ago and so um so you know it's just kind of it is like i hope it will inspire people to start their thing you know just do it because you know and if it fails who cares but maybe totally. people will like it you know that's it's the good possibility of the yeah. internet there's so much wrong with the there's internet so much terrible but um but you know it's there's the possibility we can make new things and that's good and yeah. then people are seeing it because it's public yeah yeah Dottie, thank you so much for talking oh, with us today. Oh, we could go you. on okay. and on. Okay, yeah, sorry. We really could go okay. on and on, but we have to let you go because okay. you have other um, destinations okay, yeah. here in Philadelphia. <laughs> okay, yeah. Thank no, I so could much. say anything. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
So at a party recently, I got into a conversation about audiobooks uh, with another writer, and uh, he was asking me whether I thought that listening to audiobooks counts as reading, which I thought was a really uh, interesting question that I hadn't, you know, really given much thought to before. Um, of course, there's also what counts actually means, right? right? We get into the Clintonian sense of what is, is. or Sure. <laughs> but um, but I, I really, I've been thinking about it because, I mean, in the moment, in that conversation that I was having, um, I told him that my knee-jerk response is no, because I think that uh, what, what you're getting when you're listening to an audiobook is a kind of interpretation that even though you're receiving the text, you're, you are rece- receiving the nuances of someone else's interpretation of it. Um, but that isn't to say that I, that I discount the experience of listening to audiobooks and its value as like a part of our literary landscape. I mean... Well, I really love audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And thinking about this discussion today, I was... Uh, I was pulled back to learning to read mm-hmm. over my mom's shoulder as she read books to me yeah. as a as a child. Um, and I remember that, you know, eventually what happened was I would read ahead. Right. Because you can read quicker, right. you know, in your mind than you can out loud. Um, and, and, but I'm, I'm, re- I'm really interested in the idea that it is a performance. Mm-hmm. I love going to poetry readings. It's different than reading poems on the page. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is part of the reason why I think I've been sort of mulling it over for weeks now is that I feel like in the genre of audiobooks, I haven't seen or heard, I should say, um, <laughs> lots of poetry books uh, presented as audiobooks, although that seems like a, a sort of natural uh, uh, development, right? Because we go, we people who like poetry go to poetry readings, perhaps right. more than people who are primarily interested in other genres, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know, I'm still just kind of getting my feet wet. I'm not a person who has like, listened to a lot of audiobooks. Do you do you have any like faves? Do you have um, things I, that, or things that you've heard recently that you really liked? Absolutely. I've been I think that I love a novel, mm-hmm. but recently I've been doing shorter form things mm-hmm. because uh, honestly, it's great for a commute. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. And so I've been uh, listening to, I almost said reading, but listening to <laughs> the Zadie Smith collection of essays, Feel Free. Oh, yeah. Which just... And is it is it read by her? No. Oh, who's it oh. read by? Do you um, know? I don't know that it, one always knows. Like, do you... I, I yeah. don't know. Um, yeah. But what, what's actually there, there's a number of different people that I think narrate it. Uh-huh. And what actually that that makes me think about how there is there are audiobooks that are read by the author and mm-hmm. there are audiobooks that are read by actors mm-hmm. and how that sort of divides the genre as well. Right. I mean, I, I, I love, well, of course, we all love a good voice, right? I mean, there is something super appealing about having uh, an excellent work read to you by an by an actor for that very reason right but i think that sort of supports my original idea of like that's a performance that's sort of different from reading and though both things are wonderful to me like part of the the experience of reading something is how that interpretation forms within you that you are hearing those characters voices in your own imagining right. or you're picturing you know, you know what I'm saying. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, when, and there's totally like 
the importance of space on the page, which is my reason for why I initially say no, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't really count as reading. Because like, I was reading Ill Will by Dan Sean recently, and there was a lot of blank space on certain pages where the narrator would break off and it was a mental thing where Mm. he wouldn't finish a sentence. And I feel like in an audio book that would kind of translate into a listener going, oh, is my audio messed up? Like, (laughs) what's going on? And they wouldn't really catch the nuance of that kind of effect. That's that's an interesting element of it, right? It's like, how do we how do we honor silence? How do we adequately represent space or silence or lacuna, right? Uh, because that is so much a part of um, of poetry, certainly. But yes. I think of um, the the experience of reading. Um, I mean, it's 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 something that I just really want to learn more about too, though, because I think that. Um, as audiobooks become more popular. And again, I think maybe I'm at a little bit of a, a lag on this because I don't drive. I've never, I don't drive a car, never have. And so I don't have that kind of built-in commute time the same way most people do, most mm-hmm. Americans anyway. Um, certainly, uh, you know, a lot of people have maybe an hour or more of their day where they're in a car. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a great use of time being in a car is listening to a book right um well i love the idea that it is different mm-hmm. sort of like that old conversation about whether a movie or a book is better mm-hmm. <laughs> is it better to listen to an audiobook or or read a book and one book that i've been going back and forth on is um the short story collection too much happiness by alice monroe oh yeah and so you know the stories are really long mm-hmm. And I don't go back and forth in the sense of uh, within one story, but maybe I'll listen to one story mm-hmm. and then I'll read the next one. Right. And um, and it is a different experience. Or I think that lots of times if I want to re-experience something that I've already read, like a favorite novel or something like that, I'll right. go. sometimes I'll go back on audiobooks. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting experience. Oh, that's... Oh, I, that didn't even occur to me to listen to something that you've already read. Right. That's a that's a great use of it, actually, because then you have like it's it's almost it's almost like a book group of one. Maybe that's sad, but that appeals to me. <laughs> I saw the play, and now here's the recording right. of the play. <laughs> I like it. Um, but anyway, I I. I I think that that's a topic that we might, uh, you know, be returning to as we as we continue to talk, because certainly now that we're podcasting, I think I'm um, more attuned to the idea of where are these other these other opportunities to listen. I'm, I'm thinking of another analog for poetry, which is slightly different than audiobooks, but YouTube, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that I've really been enjoying recently is finding poems that I want more contact with and then finding the poet reading them on YouTube and then reading along with the YouTube reading Mm -hmm. Um, and I I find it just I love reading poems with people it's one of my favorite things to do I always want to read poems to people right whether or not they want it I feel like (laughs) it's an aggressive act on my part but then getting to to do that with with the poet um is, is I find really valuable. Yeah. 
Talia, have you looked up poems like on YouTube? I find, I've, I've been doing yeah. that too. I mean, I, I think I, it didn't occur to me until pretty late in the game, like as a, like as a teacher of like creative writing workshops, I think the thing that switched it for me was specifically that recording of like Sylvia Plath reading daddy, where it's like, when you hear that poet's voice reading that poem, you're like, Oh, right. This is a really embodied sort of rendition that feels important to share. Like if you're going to be, you know, uh, really digging into that poem. Um, yeah. Do you have, like faves <laughs> not really uh-huh. i'm actually more of a person who doesn't listen to a lot of uh-huh. audio things uh-huh. i really prefer to like look at it on the page uh-huh. myself maybe i'm like selfish in that way or something <laughs> but uh yeah there is like spoken word though that i actually love to look at as well mm-hmm. so that's kind of weird that i'm like usually not an audio person but then i listen to spoken word it's like a whole different thing for me. It's okay. Different media for different sort of moods, right? (laughs) Moods for media. (laughs) This has been the American Poetry Review podcast with Elizabeth Scanlon, Stephen Kleinman, and Talia Geiger. We'd like to thank our producer and engineer, Joey Sweeney. The American Poetry Review is a Radio Kismet podcast. For more about Radio Kismet, visit radiokismet.com or follow them on Instagram at Radio Kismet. Please also follow APR on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Till next time.